The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Innovating Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you're in the right place. I always do, and it's always true. Uh, The buzz today on the street is enough with the drama. Get real already. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. Product innovation success stories typically talk about a temperamental visionary. Oh, you know what I'm talking about. Temperamental visionary at the helm. He is savvy. He's a leader. He's strong, powerful, charismatic. Maybe it's a she and he or she has brought together all of the right resources at the right time and the forces of the heavens and the universe made it all happen and presto wow you have a great product innovation and a wonderful story too good to be true yeah maybe in most cases yeah let's get real here enough with the drama as i said most innovations really started with someone with a little idea and they have one purpose their blinders are on perhaps they have a target market they might be testing it in that market but voila guess what Over a period of time, they ended up with different use cases. The product had different uses. It needed to be tweaked and a different target market set. So it's time for a reality check. How does this impact you and your company? Well, what we call an innovation favorable environment combined with skillful collaborative team members, the ones who love to play well in the sandbox. You know who I'm talking about. Might not be the stuff that blockbuster movies are made of, but... They do combine for a practical formula that organizations like yours, you and our listening audience, can use if you already are willing and eager to innovate. Is your company ready to join the age of innovation? You'd better be. We have a panel of three experts, two of whom are returning for part two. By the way, the title of today's episode is The Power of Group Thinking, Inspiring You to Innovate. I'm very pleased to welcome back our first panelist. She is Dr. Julia Goga-Cook. If you want to look her up, it's G-O-G-A hyphen C-O-O-K-E. She leads a company called G Consultancy. Yes, take the word consultancy and put a capital G in front of it. G Consultancy Innovation. And Julia this time has sent me a wonderful quote from Charles Darwin. Anybody wondering who it, well, you know who he was. His full name was Charles Robert Darwin. He lived from 1809 to 1882 and he was an English naturalist and geologist 
best known for his contributions to evolutionary theory, and there's still a lot of debate. Interesting uh, commentary on that, on the reality of evolution versus the Bible version on, I think it was either 60 Minutes or um, uh, GPS with Fareed Zakaria on Sunday Sunday uh, talk shows this weekend. Okay, here's the quote. In the long history of humankind, those who learned to collaborate and improvise most effectively have prevailed. It means a lot to us. Dr. Julia Golga-Cook, welcome back. How are you, Julia? Thank you very much, Bonnie, for having me here again. I'm very excited to be part of your show. We are. So talk to me, Darwin. He just His name just keeps popping up in the news. He'd probably be shocked that his, his legacy has lived on and on and on and is still being debated. So tell me how you came to pick the quote today for our topic on innovation, Julia. Well, we all talk about collaboration and we all talk about improvisation. And the reason why we need those things is in order to adapt, in order to change, in order to adopt new ways of, uh, of working, to new ways of living. And all the trends that we see these days make it a must for us to change. And on the other hand, this is one of the things that we, we say that we don't like very much. So though change is constant, we keep saying we don't like change. So that's why I thought uh, this really resonates with me, because frankly, it's not the strongest or the most intelligent, uh, mm-hmm. the ones that survived, but is the ones that were able to move to the next stage, to have a change, to pivot and adapt, basically. So that's why I just love it. Thank you. I do, too. And it certainly has held up. Uh, do you think Charles Darwin would be surprised that he's still still the stuff of talk shows and books and conversation and, and debate and, and it's almost as powerful a topic? Well, it's part of the religion topic, which we try not to talk about. Do you think he'd be shocked that, his, that he's still a, a source of uh, inquiry, Julia? Probably might, because we are turning to um, what Charles Darwin has said not only for uh, these quotes, but also, you know, we look at biology also quite a lot um, when we are talking about systems. We talk about innovation and we say it's like a body, it's like an organism, it's like a system. And all these things, you know, that we see with biomimicry and, you know, the way how we are referring to the bees and how they work, the way how we are referring to the ants and how they they create their their Mm -hmm. systems. So there is quite a lot of um, of synergies that we find in whatever subject we are moving. Thank you, Julia. Pleasure to have you back and looking forward to lots from you, lots of input and great ideas on the rest of the show. And let me introduce our second panelist who is also returning. And I still remember how to pronounce his name. It's Guy Van Weymersch. I'm going to spell that last name because nobody would ever guess. It's W-I-J-M-E-E. R-S-C-H, with a van, V-A-N, in front of it, Guy Van Weymersch. And he's the design director and director of strategic marketing in the operational and collaborative space department of Barco Industrial and Government. That's a heck of a long business card. And Guy Van Weymersch has sent me a wonderful quote from Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, whose official name was Antoine-Marie Jean-Baptiste Roger, Comte de Saint-Exupéry. Aha! He was a French 
French aristocrat, aristocrat, a writer, a poet, a pioneering aviator. He became the laureate of several of France's highest literary awards, and he also won the U.S. National Book Award. And those of you who took French as I did in what we used to call junior high school, now called middle school here in the U.S., we probably all read his novella, The Little Prince, Le Petit Prince, and he also had lyrical aviation writings, including Wind, Sand, and Stars, and Night Flight. There you go. Here's the quote that he has sent me. A pile of rocks ceases to be a rock pile when somebody contemplates it with the idea of a cathedral in mind. Oh, Gee, my mind is soaring. My imagination is soaring. I'm in the my design thinking mode. Welcome, Gee. How are you today? Good. Very well. Thanks, Bonnie. Thanks for having me back on the show also. We're delighted. Talk to me. Are you a big fan of Saint-Exupéry? Yes, yeah, like like you're saying, right? I have children and still reading that book of little things to my children also. My youngest, at least, she's six and she loves it. But it's like you said, it's very inspirational and uh, your imagination starts bubbling when, when you start reading those uh, phrases again. And, and and that's initially also why I picked, picked that specific quote. Because um, I see that, that imagination is, of course, part of being um, innovative. It starts with creativity. But what what the sentence means also is that sometimes by reframing an idea or something that you see, that you come up with new ideas. Um, okay, yeah, we're having, you're fading in and out, but go ahead. I, I know you're saying some really good things about it. Keep going, Guy. I can hear you now. Go ahead. No, I was just saying that um, the... the the quote was about um, creativity, imagination, but it's also about reframing um, mm-hmm. some of the problems or some of the things that you see. Um, and so some of those rocks, like he is mentioning, becomes indeed a cathedral in everybody's mind. So looking Gee, at have, from a different perspective. I have a question for you. It sounds like in this quote, Saint-Exupéry says, it ceases to become a rock pile when somebody contemplates it. And going back to Julia's quote from Charles Darwin, we talk about the collaboration and improvisation. So do you think this works in a group? We're talking about the power of group thinking today, obviously on the show about innovation. Do you think it takes one person to have that spark and say, wow, kids, I don't see a pile of rocks. I see a, um, a monastery or a cathedral or I see a concert hall or I see, I see a, a, a community center. Do you think it takes that one voice or does it take many voices to sort out the options? Any quick thoughts on that, Guy? No, it can, it can be multiple voices, but I think indeed having a different uh, viewing angle or, or um, um, let's say different point or, or, or angle, mm-hmm. looking at that same idea problem can flip it completely to another solution. And that's why I'm saying also that indeed, by having different um, people around in a room and looking at the same problem, you definitely come to different ideas on on how to solve or, or, or be innovative in, in, in creating new products, new uh, solutions. 
Thank you, Guy. A lot more coming from you during the roundtable part of the show. And again, welcome back. And now I'm introducing somebody who has been on some of our other Game Changers radio shows, but I believe that, well, he's joining this panel for the first time. It's Isik Shoshan, S-H-O-S-H-A-N. He is at SAP. And he sent me a wonderful quote from Linus Pauling. Those of you scratching your head, let me tell you, Linus Carl Pauling lived from 1901 to 1994. He was an American chemist biochemist, peace activist, author, and educator who published over 1,200 papers and books, and about 850 of those dealt with scientific topics. But what may be most interesting to you is that he won the Nobel Prize in Chemistry and the Nobel Peace Prize. Here is the quote. And there are two parts to this quote. It's like I found an alternate version. The quote it's extent is the best way to have a good idea is to have a lot of ideas. Perfect. But here's the alternate. The way to get good ideas is to get lots of ideas and throw the bad ones away. That's another Linus Pauling quote. It's a show, Sean. Welcome back to Game Changers. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me in the show. We're happy to have you here. Talk to me about how did you pick a quote from Linus Pauling? I haven't heard that name in years. Uh, actually, I like this quote just because it's very, very practical. It's not the smartest quote. It doesn't choose any big words, but it's really practical and gives you a couple of insights. Um, and that's why I like it. He's a very sophisticated guy, but came up with a very simple quote. Uh, so for me, for example, one of the conclusion is never run to implement your first idea. Try to gather a couple of ideas, maybe from multiple people, and only then go into the implementation mode of the idea. Don't fall in love in your first idea. Uh, another thing that comes to my mind when I'm reading this quote is that coming up with an idea, it's a process. You need to come up with a lot of ideas. You need to ideate and come up with ideas. It's not a eureka moment. There is no, aha, I got mm-hmm. an idea, and then I can go and run for it. Um, and also, in order to get a lot of ideas, you need a lot of people just to try to connect to what uh, Guy and Julia said, is that you need this collaborative creativity. Typically, one person cannot come by himself with multiple ideas. Typically, he's going to have one idea per one problem. But once he's starting to discuss it with multiple people, then there is a discussion and somebody else is raising an idea, and then his idea is getting better and better. And, and this forum of different people, each one connecting to the previous idea and coming up with potentially a better idea or different idea and merging ideas, uh, that's also come to my mind when I'm thinking about this quote. So I think that it's practical, and I think that uh, I actually like it. Well, I do too. It's like, and you said something very important at the start when you were talking about the quote. You said, don't fall in love with your first idea. So let's just put that into, since our topic is the power of group thinking, I just want to chat with you for a minute before we, we go back and find out what all of you are drinking because, you know, we have to find out a little more about each of you. But my question is, if you have a group of people and somebody says, I have a great idea. I see that cathedral in those messy pile of rocks. And somebody says, well, yeah, no, I really see a new science center. And somebody else says, I really see a piano recital hall, something like that. And each person sticks up for their own idea. 
is it a democratic process? I'll ask you first, Itzik, and then and the other panelists. Is it a democratic process to decide which idea you start to work on? Because you can't work on too many ideas. You'll be going in so many directions. I think it might dilute the energy and the ability to complete one idea. So does, does you take a vote? Is it a, a, a secret vote? Do you all put a little piece of paper in the hat and say, I like Itzik's idea. No, I like Julia's idea. No, I like Geese. And you each vote for your own. How does it work that you sort out what idea you actually develop? Itzik, what are your thoughts? I think that really good ideas are not coming when each person is fighting for his own idea, but rather when you collaborate and together come to a consensus, consensus of what is the what is the best idea? And typically, it's not one of the ideas that each one of you came with, but rather an idea that you came up with together in the room by merging all the different ideas and discussing them. There is a great TED Talk that discussing that how ideas have to meet and mate. I, I think that they're calling this, uh, and I don't remember the name of the speaker, but if you can Google it, you can probably find uh, ideas have sex. It's really not each one person coming up with his ideas and then you vote on the ideas, but rather the the idea that you generate in the room together is probably the best idea that you can get. Thank you very much. Julia, I'd love to have you uh, talk about that. What do you see? What do you observe? Is it is it a question of a democratic voting process? Whose idea gets to be the one, if they're all good? Whose idea do you work on? Well, you know, you, we, we get this... Um, this challenge after we have had loads of ideas because we say you need to have lots of ideas. And then when it comes to how do we select, yeah, democratic votes is um, sometimes a good idea. But I think what's most important is having some criteria when we go into the selection mode. You know, why are we selecting these ideas? What do we want to get? You know, what is the thing that we are going to be making out of it? And there could be lots of criteria that we ourselves impose in order mm-hmm. to make a good selection. Um, and there could be sometimes, you know, criteria that have to do with technology, with a business. So uh, criteria that have to do with how much people would desire that. So we would say we put it into the test of do people like it? Do we have the technology to make it? And do we have the money to make it happen? So those three ah. things to, to analyze and the ideas that we have in front of us. Thank you. Good. Good to know the process. Guy, are you in, in agreement on the process Julia described and that Itzik was talking about? Well, Julia describes it perfectly. It's indeed setting those criteria. And so you at least have a group, have a way to select or let's say weigh the different uh, ideas in the room. Um, I like very much also what Itzik was saying about um, it's a group um, creation process, creative process. But, but um, most of the time what happens in, um, in those sessions is indeed that there is a flow also that you feel that when people are in that flow of creating those solutions and ideas and a lot of ideas, there is a kind of uh, a feeling also where the group feels that certain ideas are probably more valid um, to pursue than others. Mm-hmm. So I call it the group intuition also. Uh, besides mm-hmm. the, the, the criteria, which is a very analytical way indeed to, to, to weigh the different solutions and, and select also, there is also something that I say, okay, does it feel as a group good? And again, when you go through that process, it's very interesting uh, to see that, also, um, even if 
not everybody is 100% or not all the criteria are um, are met. Um, the group could still go for something else because they believe in it very strongly and, 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 and believe in, this, in an idea is a very strong uh, driver also to, to, to pursue um, any of those um, ideas to, to a new product or a new solution. Thank you, Guy. I, I looked up, after uh, Itzik was talking, I looked up the idea of putting a lot of people in a room and generating ideas, and we used to call this brainstorming. I don't know if that's a dirty word, if it's a four-letter word now. We don't talk about it. We talk about design thinking, putting people with different backgrounds, different mindsets, different skill sets in a room, and here we're talking about, I think it's the old-fashioned brainstorming, but there is a controversy. I'm looking at one website that says uh, how easy it is to generate a lot of amazing ideas, brainstorming, making ideas that really happen in and somebody says, why you cannot brainstorm creative ideas. But that's a, a whole other show. So you know what? I'm going to circle back to Julia, who I believe is calling from London. Julia, I'd love to know what time it is there. And, of course, you know what I'm going to ask you. We want to know a little bit about what are you drinking right now or what are you planning to drink after the show. Julia? Uh, it's 22 past 3 in the afternoon. And it's really coffee time for me. I know it's tea time in London, but I just drink coffee. Okay, <laughs> sounds good. And what, what what flavor are you drinking? Is there something more? Well, I, I have to be boring, Bonnie. I just have Turkish coffee. And I stick with it. Julia, there's nothing boring about you. That word, and Julia, Coca Cook, and boring do not belong in the same paragraph or the same book. So I don't believe that. Turkish coffee, and you described it last time I think you were on the air. So you, do you read the grinds in the bottom? How does that work? Do you do anything with them? Well, no, I never learned how to do that. But, yeah, I, I, you know, when I go to Albania sometimes and I meet with old aunts and they'll say, well, let's have a look at it. Um, but just for fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like fun. Thank you very much. And by the way, I have to mention that you have, I'm looking down here at your bio, you have a, uh, a weekly zine called Inspired to Innovate, which is a curation of top stories from technology, business, science, and arts. And I read it, and I thank you very much for including me on that list. I appreciate it. And Guy Van Weymersch, what are you drinking? Is it beer brewed by the monks? Are you still drinking that beer? I have it in my notes from last time, Guy. Tell me. What's in your cup today? No, yeah, it's not in my cup today because I'm actually, um, I got a little bit sick and I'm taking antibiotics, so alcohol is for a couple of, of, of days now. Now I'm thinking, I'm drinking a tea. Um, and actually it's a tea that I picked up last uh, Sunday in Paris. Um, it was my birthday last day and with the family who we went to Paris and we, 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 we bumped into this very nice shop. Um, and actually, I think it's 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 a well-known tea, Cosme tea. I don't know if you heard about it. Cosme tea is a it's a brand. Um, it's a Russian. How do you spell? How Russian do you spell it? Is, Can you spell it for me? Cosme tea. K K U S M Y. Okay, I'm looking it up. Yeah, <laughs> it's initially yeah. a Russian. Yeah, it's a Russian blend um, made of different. And what's what's typical in the Russian tea is that also it comes with spices. And actually, the the tea I have now it's called Sweet Love, and it's included. Um, <laughs> it's black Chinese black tea with uh, pepper in it. So liquid wow. and, um, pink peppercorn, and it has a very Ooh. tasty uh, spice, a spicy taste. Yeah, I'm looking but at I, a I picture like of it. Much. 
I'm looking at a picture of it on Wikipedia. K-U-S-M-I is how they spell it. It's a brand of tea with headquarters in Paris. The company, which produces Russian-style tea and tea blends, was established by Pavel Mikhailovich Kosmichov, excuse mm-hmm. me, in 1867 <laughs> in St. Petersburg, Russia. Upon the onset of the Russian Revolution in 1917, the Kosmichov company relocated to France and has changed hands several times since then. They market a wide variety of blended and flavored teas. It's a beautiful look. Looking tin, and I see a picture of the teeth. Yep. Thank you, Gee. That's new for us. I hope you feel better. And I wanted to say joyeux anniversaire. I hope you had a one. I think that's how to say it. I hope you had. A, <laughs> hope you had yeah. a wonderful yeah, birthday, yeah. and I hope you feel better. And thanks for joining us. It's a show, Sean. Where are you calling from? What time is it? And what are you drinking? Uh, I'm calling from Israel. Now it's five twenty-six p.m. our time. So one hour later than Gee. And two hours mm-hmm. after uh, in the UK. Uh, typically, I have coffee, but today is a bit of winter outside, so I decided to take herbal tea out of sage. Mm. Um, not as good as geese sounds, but uh, I like it. It's tasty. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> well, you can just go on Amazon and put in Cosmi, T-K-U-S-M-I. You can buy a whole tin of it. And, and if I were coming to Israel, I'd pack it in my luggage and bring it to you. But you're on your own, so you're going to have to have it shipped. <laughs> Listen, we are having a really good conversation here. We're already in great collaboration mode. Our topic today is the power of group thinking. You are witnessing live group thinking right here. We're thinking about what are we going to drink and how are we going to collaborate. And the point of this whole conversation is inspiring you, Y-O-U in capital letters, to innovate. I'm here today with three wonderful panelists, wonderful thought leaders. We have Dr. Julia Goga-Cook, who leads G Consultancy Innovation. We have Guy Van Weymirsch at Barco Industrial, and we have Itzik Shoshan. Itzik, I have to give your proper title here, and I'm looking down at your bio, and you are a program director at SAP Service Innovation Team, responsible for the development of innovative consulting offerings, and that's very, very important as well. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, drinking just a cool, clear glass of water with a yellow straw. I usually have a green straw for money, but today it's yellow, hoping that spring will come back soon. What? We're going to be right back after the break. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Justin, out. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Factors as diverse as insights from growing volumes of data, the new global pool of talent, resource scarcity, and business networks and supply chains are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Innovating Innovation with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
You're listening to Innovating Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Innovating Innovation with Game Changers. We certainly are. We're game changers and we are innovating innovation. And a shout out to series sponsor at SAP, Michelle Serrier and his wonderful team for helping put together this great panel. I'm talking today with Dr. Julia Goga-Cook, Guy Van Weymersch. I can say that automatically now. And it's a show, Sean. And we have a lively conversation here. We're going to kick off the roundtable. We just have 30 minutes left to the show, actually 27. So we're going to dive in very quickly here. Julia Goga-Cook has sent me a very, very provocative statement here. This is where we're going to start the conversation. She says, high technical skills on their own are not enough anymore with the reference of innovation. You need to combine them with social skills. I think this is very provocative. Julia, why don't you start and then we will ask Guy and Itzik to chime in. Go ahead, Julia. Sure. Well, you know, when... when when you asked me, Bonnie, about um, the issues, I was just back from the University of Birmingham where my son was looking for uh, exploring where he's going to be applying, and he's been visiting several. And one of the teachers there talking about finance, which he wants to study, said, oh, by the way, you know, we are very strong here to teach students not only on the technical skills, but we put quite a lot of emphasis on soft skills. And that sort of drove me to go away and have a look at uh, more research from it. And in fact, you know, um, there has been research uh, really uh, even very recently by uh, David Hemming from Harvard University, which shows that trends that have grown um, shows that those jobs that have got only technical skills, they have not grown very much, whereas the ones that have included also the social skills, uh, there has been a growth consistently in the last two decades. And so that, that you know, brought me into then looking about what soft skills we're talking about, because what you hear is like soft skills, and it feels like they're a bundle of things which normally don't get specified and... Uh, you know, uh, something that we see in companies, for example, where we put a lot of emphasis on how can we develop really deep skills in the technical fields. And then when it comes to, yeah, let's do some soft skills as well as an afterthought rather than key things. And if you look at collaboration, that's one of those soft skills, or we used to say teamwork. And now we see that collaboration is not anymore something good to have, but it's a core competency. So this is, you know, one of those things that just drove me to think a bit more about how much do we put the emphasis on developing soft skills, not only when we get people to work for us, but how do we do that at school and probably not only at the university, but going further down, how can we do that in secondary schools and how can we keep doing them from when they start school. So this is why um, I thought I, I found that really provocative myself. 
It, it is, and compelling, and I notice here that there's some research to back this up from David Deming, D-E-M-I-N-G, at Harvard. Julia, one question before I get Gee and Itzik to chime in here. I was thinking while the three of you were talking before the break that talking about collaboration and group thinking and the power, and I asked about the democratic process or other process to sort through the ideas and decide which to develop, and you, Julia, gave us a, a wonderful three-step, uh, three-part mantra for how to uh, tackle this, how to approach it, but should we talk about about with these social skills, as you call them the soft skills, Julia, check your ego at the door before you enter the group thinking domain. Is that something that beca- that is required uh, in the realm of social skills? What do you observe? Oh, definitely. You know, and th- that is something that um, we see all the time. And I think it's very much down to the way how we facilitate the groups when they come together in order to make people feel comfortable, have their creativity really shine, but also make some space for other people to come to it. And one of the things that I'm really very concerned when I have groups either coming to brainstorm or coming to discuss issues which are very close to their heart facilitating those discussions so that you give voice also to people who don't normally talk very much when they are in face-to-face situations. Um, Sometimes we call them the introverts, and we are missing quite a big part of the ideas uh, by not letting them express them if we don't create a proper facilitated environment for these ideas to come. I mean, thank God these days we also have got... um, online ways of bringing groups together. And what I have seen is that a lot of people that are very, very active with their ideas online, when you bring them in face-to-face situations, they're very quiet. Uh So using also a combination of these um, environments or spaces, I would say, where you move seamlessly from face-to-face to to online, it's Mm -hmm. also one of the techniques to involve everybody. I wouldn't say crush the egos, but play around them. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I want to get Guy's input on this. Guy, thoughts about checking the ego and about what Julia started talking about, the idea of technical, but you must have social soft skills. Thoughts, Guy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's an interesting discussion because it's one of the, the most difficult challenges as a leader of, of an innovation group. And that you 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 need to take the introverts and the extroverts, like Julia is saying, um, and take the best out of them during during any session you're doing. Um, we, I mean, Barco is typically uh, was in the past typically an engineering driven uh, company, and we had those lonely geniuses sitting in a lab. And now you're actually asking them to come out and and and, and co-create in, in work in workshops and so on. So you you bring them out of a comfort zone also. I think then as a leader of, of those workshops and an innovation leader, you need to f- find a way to, 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 so that everybody is actually adding to, to the workshop as, as you want them to be. Um, teaching soft skills, um, we, I mean, we have a difference between the IQ and the EQ, and I think EQ mm-hmm. is getting more and more uh, required also. Um, I also want more women, to be honest. Um, in, because that's a typical 
let's say feature that 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 women have also than than, than men. Uh, I think men sometimes have too much problem of checking out their egos um, when they go into a, a meeting and everything. <laughs> um, but balancing those is is, is always um, yeah difficult. And I think as a leader, the the, the biggest challenge that that they're going to have is indeed having let's say. The ideas also of the introverts um, being spoken out, um, and there are tools and there are tricks and methodologies, like Julia is saying. Um, but it's, it's it's a challenge because it's very interesting out of the comfort zones. Yeah. I I love the the gender differentiation there and the EQ and IQ. Great points, Guy. It's sick. Talk to us. What do you what do you observe? Well, you said already so much, but maybe what I could add is. To me, it's looking like left-brainers versus right-brainers. The technical guys are more the guys that focus on the left brain, science, math, analytical, logic, and such, versus the soft skills are more of the right-brainers, which focus on the free spirit, passion, feelings, imagination. And actually, in order to, to have an idea or to have innovation, you need both, both uh, sides the left and the right. Uh, I think that we tend to uh, value the left side more, more the technical, because it's very easy to evaluate it. Versus the, how do you evaluate soft skills? It's very hard to evaluate them. And today, when you need to evaluate everything and put KPIs and goals and objectives, uh, I think that this is potentially why we're focusing more on the technical skills. But I do agree that without the soft skills, uh, we are missing a very important part of the of the discussion. Thank you, Itzik. Julia, I have to circle back to you on this. Thoughts about EQ, IQ versus or and or, and also about, uh, Guy said something, talk about provocative, about men having more trouble checking their ego at the door. Julia, what's the, the female point of view on that one? Well, I would tend to agree with Guy there. <laughs> and I think one of the, Probably one of the things that make make women um, better at that is because the empathy that they use is probably to a higher degree. And I see empathy as one of the elements that really is key in the in the soft skills. At the same time, like listening is a key element, or like sharing is another key element of um, of the soft skills. And I also agree with what Itzhak is saying about how difficult it is to measure them, to pinpoint them. You know, we start our lives with quite a lot of learning through playing together and sharing when we are little. And then this type of skills which we learn when we're young, we start and lose them because Sometimes, or most of the time, it seems that they're not required very much, especially in the workplace, or are not valued very much. So I think it is necessary that um, at our workplaces, we also put some emphasis in rewarding people for having those skills and mm-hmm. helping them to develop those skills. Um, you know, people say, how can I listen better? And there are techniques you can listen better. And one of the things that the leaders, I would say, probably lack most is listening and having deep empathy. 
Mm, thank you very much, Julia. Appreciate that. Uh, Guy, I'm going to move this along to something you said. i gotta got to watch the clock here. We're getting tight. Uh, one comment you made here, very interesting to me, about the longevity of the process. You say, the energy coming out of a good design thinking workshop works for a long time and it inspires a lot of people. But the challenge is how to keep this flowing and sustainable inside a company, a department, a group, a team. And then your comment that I want you to, to please respond to is, most of the time when we get back to business, people forget this energy from the design thinking workshop. How do we solve this, Guy? Yeah, how do you solve it? It's, it's, I think, repetition and, and having markers out there. Um, people remember what, what energy was flowing during the, the workshop. I think that helps. Um, it's, it's usually, indeed, um, those, those workshops, those um, things that you bring together are some of the people um, are not really in the project but they get a lot of energy out of during the process. And what you have to do, what, what, what works for us is, is, is um, visual remembrance. And we, we worked a couple of times with visual recording, graphical recorders, and, and then having those uh, things that has been set, um, not just the post-it notes, um, but really the graphical, the presentations, pictures that help also. Um, that people remember what type of energy was, was flowing and focus on that energy. Um, some of the people will focusing back and back to business and, and be very analytical and, and probably forget on why and what has been said. Because context is, is usually, I think people still remember what's been said, but the context on why it has been said and, and so one is usually forgotten very, very fast. And that's why I think pictures or um, visual recording, graphical recording of those sessions and put them out as markers, as posters, as whatever you, you like to do it and, and you, you want to share it, does help to people being energized. Thank you very much, Guy. I want to get Itzik to chime in on this. Itzik, your thought on keeping this energy going. Very important if you're going to have this design and collaborative culture. How do you keep people from forgetting what wonderful things came out of it and the experience itself? Itzik Shoshan? Yeah, I think that this is actually a very important point, what Guy said, that this is always the case. I don't know if always, but this is a big problem with the design thing when we're doing it in a kind of a workshop, so it's People, to the people mind in their mind, it's kind of an event, and when the event is over, they are going back to their standard work. Mm-hmm. And we have a couple of techniques to make sure that uh, they're not going to just go to their standard work, but actually going to try to implement what was agreed during this uh, workshop. Uh, one thing is that we need to make sure that by the end of this workshop, there's going to be a game plan, and next uh, phase kind of action plan, what people need to do after the workshop. And each one need to pick responsibility and agree to what he's going to be doing, what type of task he's going to be taking to make sure that it's not an event that ended on Thursday or Friday, and then next Monday you're going back to the office to, the, to your old job and you forgot what you did, and to you it was just an experience. Another thing, we try to take it to kind of validation phase and also management approval. So to share with the management the result of the workshop. And again, if you're going to get a green light for them or kind of validation that what we did is important, that can 
keep the energy going after the workshop as well with the with the people. But I must say that in many of the workshops, we see that that after the workshop, even though that the, the end of the workshop, we are all energetic and just waiting to implement that, we're going back to the standard daily work, and, uh, and that's a major issue. Thank you very much. Julia, thoughts on this? Uh, absolutely. I, I, I do agree. And I think there are two things um, that we try and do in our workshops. One of the things that uh, doesn't let us uh, go out and use it is that we don't internalize it enough during the workshop in order to create that confidence that I can go now and I can use it in my next project. So what we're trying to do and bringing new things into this is, and, and we always say that, teaching something is the best way to internalize things. So at, by the end of the workshop, getting the groups to teach it to somebody else immediately before forgetting it has become a good technique for the groups I work with. And the other thing is just making people aware of the fact that these are skills. It's like muscles. Unless you use it, you're going to lose it. So it's not just knowledge. And in order to train that muscle, you would need those 21 times to make use of it before it becomes habit when you get a challenge and you know that you're going to explore it and go for lots of ideas and then do some fast prototypes and use the process either in parts or um, as, as a complete one. So giving them the confidence, giving them the tools, and I think some hand-holding um, hand holding when they start to use it is very necessary. So weaving into those workshop programs and also some mentoring with a design thinking doctoring afterwards. Thank you very much. And I'm going to move this along to some new interesting topics from Itzik Shoshan's notes he sent me. And Itzik, let's do some definitions here. You talk about many types of innovation, top-down, outside in, inside out, bottom up. Woo! I'd like you to just, why don't you just give us a what we call a primer or a primer on quickly, what do each of these mean? And then why don't you do some name dropping companies that embody this particular, each particular type of innovation. Itzik? Teach us. Sure, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so there are different ways to categorize uh, innovation. One way is the source. Where does the innovation come out from? And we typically look into four different ways when we're talking about the source of innovation. One is top-down, meaning it's the innovation coming from a strategic direction that was decided by the management. We need to do that, and then everything falls uh, after that. A uh, great example for that would be potentially Steve Jobs from Apple. He decided it was his idea, the iPhone or any product that came from Apple at his time, was everything was his ideas, and then everybody had to, to implement. I don't think that there is a single product that came from Apple that came from an employee uh, that suggested something and then got implemented. Another source of innovation, which sometimes is not really considered as innovation, uh, but still, we, a lot of companies does that. It's outside in. Let's acquire the innovation. Let's acquire the good idea. Let's mm -hmm. purchase either established company or a startup company for their technology and get their innovation. Uh, many times, it's the less risky way to do it because you're getting something which is already proven. 
either a proven IP, a technology, or even a proven business that already generates revenue for you. And for your company, it's actually innovation because you're bringing something new that you didn't have. Uh, a third uh, type of innovation is uh, inside-out uh, innovation. Uh, we don't see that a lot, but sometimes in companies, we see that uh, they develop something that doesn't fit into their core business, that doesn't fit into their strategy, and therefore they decide to exubate it or spin it out and establish a new company out of it. Just lately, we heard from Google that they decided to take a lot of different projects outside of Google and put them under the Alphabet company, which is currently the parent company. So the autonomous uh, car and the internet for the third world and a lot of different projects that they're doing, they took it outside of Google and actually exhibited them or spin them off. And the last type, uh, type of innovation, which is probably the hardest, is the bottom-up innovation. And this is the innovation that starts from the employee. An employee has an idea, and he would like to bring it as innovation to the company, um, a real product. It's, this is probably the toughest and the riskiest type of innovation. In SAP, we do have a couple of programs to get this type of innovation from the employees. But you can think about it as, as if to, you're trying to climb a mountain with a lot of luggage with you. Your idea, you need to climb the mountain all the way to the top. Uh, this is kind of the, the issue that you have. There is an issue with facing the KPIs of the other people. There is the issue of the not invented here by other organizations. There's a lot of politics. Mm-hmm. And there is an issue to get a budget. Uh, you, it's almost certain that you, at some point you're going to stop. But if you achieve, this is probably the biggest achievement that an employee can get inside of an organization. Thank you very much. It's a good good information. I need to move this to, you know what, I'm just going to give a, a one or two sentence answer on to this or comment on this to Julia and then to Guy, and then we have to move into our predictions. It's a, excuse me and forgive me for, for rushing through this, uh, but it was a great, great definitions you shared with us. Julia, thoughts on what he just shared on the different types of innovation? Yeah, thanks a lot, Jack. I loved the explanation that you gave for the bottom-up, and of course it's hard. You know, we often say that innovation is not for the faint-hearted because you mm-hmm. need to convince quite a lot of people uh, about its values when you sometimes don't have anything to prove. And that's what makes it difficult. But the other thing which I have seen that makes it difficult is the way how we tell the stories. And I think quite a lot of us are not very good at it, how to tell the story of what you want to bring, how to make it um, exciting so that you can have people get with you, uh, connect with you both, you know, from the factual and emotional point of view, because for any innovation you need followers and you need backers and you need supporters. And I think this is another thing that we need to help people gain. Thank you. Guy, thought, <laughs> thank, thank you. Your voice dropped out there for a second. Guy, one quick sentence from you, on, on, and then we have to go to predictions. Guy, thoughts on, on the wonderful definitions that Itzik just shared with us, please. I, th- I think, I think um, yeah, all innovations are, are somewhere needed. Um, I think at the end, we, we're, we're not alone as a company. We're not alone as – so we need to – 
find, um, let's say, ways to innovate, and we have to look around everywhere to to, to find those those diamonds, those, those little gems. Also, trying to innovate and, and come up with new ideas. Um, there are some some let's say barriers, like the not invented uh, here syndrome, is indeed one of those. And indeed, the fact that also it's easy easier said than done um, involve every innovation. Thank Sorry. you, Guy. Thank you. That's okay. Yeah, you were fading out. You know what? I need to move this to Julia. Julia, I can give you 30 seconds for your predictions. Great conversation. I think we need to have part three on this topic. There's just too much more to cover. Dr. Julia Goga-Cook, 30 seconds. What do you predict will come down the pike in terms of techniques and soft skills and collaborative, innovative collaborative innovation methodology. Boy, that's a mouthful. Uh, Julia, I love the year 2020. You tell me how far in the future you're predicting and what do you see will change about this topic. Julia, 30 seconds, go. My prediction is that in 2020, we will have design thinking as a problem-solving methodology and body of tools included in secondary schools curriculum. Ah, very interesting. And and that would certainly be a good way to start kids off on the right foot, wouldn't it? Uh, a quick comment on the gender issue before. I think Guy brought that up. Uh, we do a lot of conversation about, we have a show called uh, Game Changing Women on SAP Radio. Mm-hmm. And we talk about how women basically were brought up to not take credit, not stand up and raise their hands. I say, that was my idea. Typically we say, well, thank you to my team. And it was a great team effort. Men are saying, hi, I'm Bob. And that was my idea. So I, I think I think that's a problem. We're trying to get women to take credit for their ideas and, and put that ego out there because nobody will know what we do if we don't speak up for ourselves. Guy, I'm ready for your prediction. Sorry for the sidebar. Guy, 30 seconds. What do you predict? will change go no i mean picking on that one and and didn't think about it as a prediction but definitely in 2020 we're going to have more respect for the different genders being part of and and, <laughs> and not only genders but every every culture yes. um, being part of yes. an innovative culture because diversity helps also in creating an innovative culture but I think what I, what I wanted to say about the 2020 prediction, um, it's going to be more an open innovation aspect, um, and the, the different definitions of, of ITSIC is tying into this. I think that we're going to talk differently on what innovation is about. It's going to be inside, outside. No, it's going to be all about innovation, and it doesn't matter where it comes from. At the end, if we improve the solutions, if we find the solutions, um, we still have to break down some of the let's say, barriers like IP, mm-hmm. uh, what do we do with IP and so on, oh. Um, oh, yeah. closing ideas. Um, that's another probably long discussion about this, but I think in 2020 people will deal more about how they're going to work together inside. Thank you, Guy. I need to give it's like two sentences for your predictions. We're just about out of time. It's like two sentences. What do you predict? Fast, go. <laughs> okay, so I think that we are in the process of showing how innovation is moving from the single person to the crowd. If you look at Thomas Edison, he was a single guy, came up with a lot of innovations. Today we see innovating in teams, and therefore I think that if we're going to continue this trend in the future, we're going to see the users innovating actually for the companies. Companies are going to communicate directly with users. They're going to be innovating. 
together with them. And even today, we start to see that the technologies that we come up with and then the user use them for completely different use cases that we thought about, I think that we're going to see that more and more in the future. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I want to thank my extraordinary panel. We have Dr. Julia Goga-Cook, Guy Van Weymersch. I can do that automatically now. And Itzik Shoshan. And a shout-out to our tweeters. We've had Michelle Serrier at SAP, who is the sponsor of this series. Thank you, Michelle. And we have Oski Olmez. Also, thank you so much for tweeting. They've been listening live, and I hope all of you have as well. This episode will be available on podcast in about two hours. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you also to Justin at the business channel team and it's time for us to close out our broadcast week so here's my call to action fasten your seatbelt or go out and make a whole new kind of seatbelt you can innovate it i'm ready what are you waiting for go out and be a game changer today thank you bye bye thanks again for tuning in to innovating innovation with game changers Presented by SAP, the best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.